From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. that you have joined us for another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak, featuring messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. Currently, Dr. Cairns is bringing a series of studies in the earthly life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, messages that focus on the Savior Himself, as revealed in His teaching and miracles, His atoning death on the cross, and His glorious resurrection. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, as found in his collection called Morning and Evening. Our text for this morning is found in John chapter 3 and verse 7. Ye must be born again. Regeneration is a subject which lies at the very basis of salvation, and we should be very diligent to take heed that we really are born again. For there are many who fancy they are who are not. Be assured that the name of a Christian is not the nature of a Christian, and that being born in a Christian land and being recognized as professing the Christian religion is of no avail whatever unless there be something more added to it, the being born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. To be born again is a matter so mysterious that human words cannot describe it. The wind bloweth where it listeth, And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nevertheless, it is a change which is known and felt, known by works of holiness, and felt by a gracious experience. This great work is supernatural. It is not an operation which a man performs for himself. A new principle is infused, which works in the heart, renews the soul, and affects the entire man. It is not a change of my name, but a renewal of my nature, so that I am not the man I used to be, but a new man in Christ Jesus. To wash and dress a corpse is a far different thing from making it alive. Man can do the one. God alone can do the other. If you then have been born again, your acknowledgement will be, O Lord Jesus, the everlasting Father, Thou art my spiritual parent. Unless thy spirit had breathed into me the breath of a new, holy, and spiritual life, I had been to this day dead in trespasses and sins. My heavenly life is wholly derived from thee. To thee I ascribe it. My life is hid with Christ in God. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who liveth in me. May the Lord enable us to be well assured on this vital point. For to be unregenerate, is to be unsaved, unpardoned, without God, 
and without hope.
In this day of many uncertainties, the political unrest, widespread violence, and moral confusion, people are asking, what is it all about? What does life mean, or does it have any meaning? Thankfully, there is one place where despairing men, women, and young people can find the answers to those questions, the Holy Bible, God's inspired, inerrant word. The Apostle Paul, speaking of the gospel, wrote, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. He was referring to the righteousness that God gives to sinners on the basis of Christ's death on the cross. A medical doctor who found life's answer in Christ has written a brief summary of the central teaching of the Bible in a booklet called The Meaning of Life and the Love of God. In a few clearly written pages, he explains how sinners can find forgiveness and redemption in God's blessed Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For a free copy of The Meaning of Life and the Love of God, simply email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you wish, you may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. If you prefer regular mail, simply write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Just ask for your copy of The Meaning of Life and the Love of God, and we'll be happy to provide it. Today on Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns continues to provide a glimpse of the glory of Christ in a message dealing with Christ's transfiguration as recorded in Mark chapter 8. Although Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus there on the mount, God the Father made it clear that salvation is in Christ alone, for Jesus would fulfill what those two Old Testament figures represented, the Law and the Prophets. The transfiguration showed Christ's resolve to suffer the shame and agony of the cross, and that it would be a finished work. It showed Christ's preeminence. The Father said, This is my beloved Son, hear Him. The glory of Christ's people is what they have in union with Him. Being transfigured before them, Christ was encouraging His disciples that His sufferings would lead to glory. This would prepare them for the sorrow they would experience following his death. 
A sight of the glory of Christ is what we need for whatever we must face in life. Now here is Dr. Cairns to continue this message, A Glimpse of the Glory of Christ. Why did the Lord go through this at this this time? Why did the glory come down? Why did the Father speak? Why was this happening at this time? Well, first and foremost, it was to acknowledge that this was a pivotal point in the ministry of Christ. And it was acknowledging his entrance upon the work of the cross. And it was confirming his resolve to see that work through. You must never forget that the Lord Jesus, while he's God incarnate, he's perfect man. The human nature of Christ didn't like pain any more than any other human nature would like pain. And furthermore, the very holiness of the nature of Christ would be repelled at the thought of the sins of men that he was taking upon himself. I have made the point before in this pulpit that when Christ bore our sins, that was a forensic or judicial act. But never let us lose sight of the fact that when he was doing it, and the 40th Psalm bears this out, that great messianic Psalm, that the Lord Jesus Christ saw the heinousness and hatefulness and wickedness of the sins that he was taking upon himself. Not that they made him unclean, but he hated them as being unclean. The idea of going to the cross and being alienated from the Father there in the darkness to cry, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was something revolting to the human nature of Jesus Christ. And so, as he's coming to this critical point, this happens on the Mount of Transfiguration to confirm his resolve. I know that from Hebrews 12 verse 2, where I'm told that Christ, for the joy that was set before him, Christ, on account of or for the sake of the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and then was set down in the right hand of the throne of God. This glory before him encouraged, strengthened the man Christ Jesus and it acknowledged the inauguration of a very special part of his ministry. Take your New Testament, you'll find there were three times when the Father spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, or Thou art my Son. At the very beginning of his public ministry, at his baptism by the Jordan, Matthew 3.15, this is my beloved son. The Lord Jesus was here mostly exercising, I say mostly, not only, but mostly exercising the offer of the prophet and entering into his prophetic ministry. The Father said, this is my beloved Son. Here at the transfiguration, as he comes to the cross and he's entering more closely into the office of the priest, the Father says, this is my beloved Son. And then at the resurrection, as he's entering into glory, the Father says, Acts 13, thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. Three times 
Christ our prophet, Christ our priest, and Christ our king. God is acknowledging Christ's entrance to the work. That's why it happened. It happened also at this time to attest the full and finished nature of Christ's work. Verse 31, we read of these men who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he should accomplish. I pointed out last week the word accomplish means fulfill. You never talk about accomplishing a death. You don't talk about fulfilling a death unless it's the death of Christ. You see, he died with a specific purpose, according to a specific plan, fulfilling a specific promise. He died, and he accomplished all that he set out to accomplish in his death. Moses and Elijah testified the end of the Old Testament types and shadows. They have passed away, and now Christ has come, and he has finished the work forever. This Mount of Transfiguration was stamping upon the hearts and minds of the disciples who were there that the cross is a finished work. It's a finished work. It's an unrepeatable work. It needs nothing added to it, and nothing can be taken from it. I said a while ago that any time you have a denial of the need for the cross work of Christ, according to the Lord Jesus, that's Satan speaking. And that's true. Defeated in that realm, however, Satan doesn't give up. There are people who admit the necessity of the cross work of Christ, but yet they subvert it by making it a never-ending work. Across the world today, there are millions of masses being offered up to God in which, we are told, priests are offering to God a sacrifice, namely the sacrifice of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. They're sacrificing Christ on their altars to this very day. But that cannot be. This man offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Hebrews 10, verse 12. And then he sat down at the right hand of God. This is what he's showing to the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is a finished work. It's a completed death. As Paul says, he dies no more. There's a third reason why this happened. That was to assert the absolute preeminence of Christ. You know, when Peter and James and John were fully awake, they saw Christ's glory and they saw Moses and Elias standing with him, participating in that glory. They got a foretaste of heaven. And then they saw Moses and Elias beginning to withdraw. And Peter, not knowing what to say or do, he panics. And he says, Lord, don't let this finish. Don't let these men go. Let's build three tabernacles. Let's build places where they may abide. It's good for us to be here. Let's stay here. Stop and think for a minute. He hasn't seen the significance 
of all that Christ said before the event. He hasn't seen the significance of what has been happening on the Mount of Transfiguration. He has seen, but he has not perceived. He has not understood. He has not understood that they were speaking of the decease, the death, the death. You see, Peter still wanted the Mount. He wanted the glory. He did not want the cross. Hadn't changed any. He had not understood the significance that they were speaking of the death which Christ would complete and accomplish and fulfill on the cross that Moses and Elias were merely witnesses from the Old Testament and their glory would be entirely swallowed up in the glory of the finished work of Christ. In fact, that's the only glory they could ever have for all eternity. So the Father says, This is my beloved Son. Remember Hebrews chapter 3, Moses as God's servant, Christ as God's Son served him. There's a difference. This is my servant, Moses. This is my servant, Elias. This is my beloved son. Never put him on a par with anybody else. The absolute preeminence of Christ forever established on the Mount of Transfiguration. And that's a great theme throughout the New Testament. Time does not permit me to pursue it there. Take the epistle of Paul to the Colossians as an example and see the absolute preeminence. And Paul sums it all up that in all things he, that is Christ, might have the preeminence. Obviously this happened in order to anticipate Christ's eternal kingdom and Christ's eternal glory. The disciples were going to go through some hard days. They were going to stand at that rugged Mount Calvary. It was an ugly place. To us, of course, it... uh, has a certain romance to it. It has a certain beauty, the very name. We love the name Calvary. Strange, really, that we love the name Calvary. It's merely a way of making the name Golgotha sound better. still means the skull. When you go to Jerusalem, to what I think is most probably the authentic site of the death of Christ, outside the northern wall, just across what is now a roadway, beyond an Arab bus station, rising up behind that, you still see the rugged hill with the great holes gouged out to look like eyes and a a crooked slanting lump of rock that looks like a nose and an ugly gash that looks like a mouth. To this day, it bears the marks of an ugly skull. And on that rugged, ugly hill, these disciples stood to see the most brutal death invented by man as a way of execution. They saw Christ hung upon a cross. Their hearts were broken, not having learned the lessons, 
that he had taught them. Their hopes were dashed. Later on they said, we trusted that it had been he who would deliver Israel. We trusted. Now our hopes are dashed. Before they ever got there, the Lord Jesus brought them to the Mount of Transfiguration. These three, probably because more than any they could influence the rest, to show them the end of the story. This is the end of the story. It doesn't end at the cross. That's why I do not believe in crucifixes. I detest crucifixes. First of all, you should not make any graven image of the one who is your God. For the same reason, I don't like pictures, holy pictures of Jesus. He is our God. Let's not make any likeness of God. But especially to have him hung on the cross. It's not the end of the story. He was on a cross until he died. He lay in a grave for three days. And up from the grave he arose. And he's on the throne of glory. He is the ruler of all the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this view on the Mount of Transfiguration was a view of what his glory will be as the mediator exalted to the right hand of God. The glory of his face, his personal holiness. The glory of his his raiment, his glorious righteousness. The glory of his people who appear with him in glory. Now when we catch that, we can understand Peter saying it's good for us to be here. Let's remain here forever. They couldn't then. But bless God, there's a day coming when we will see him and we will be with him forever. That's why it was given. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. Founded by Dr. Alan Cairns, Let the Bible Speak is also heard in many parts of the world through the international radio outreach of Let the Bible Speak, produced in Northern Ireland. The Free Presbyterian Church stands without apology for the absolute inerrancy of the Bible, emphasizing preaching that centers on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and is militant in its stand against the ecumenical apostasy and the efforts of the world to infiltrate the Church. For further information about the Free Presbyterian Church, you may email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. You may call us at 864-244-2408. Or you may write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Again, that's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Also, we encourage you to visit the website of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America at www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. (music) 